We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We got a lot of we're seeing a lot of good questions in here, Ryan. Let's let's start rocking and rolling. You guys are getting hot with the questions. Here we go. TB12 for Heisman, mailbag. Have you guys heard anything else on how the offense is going to look? More RPOs, passing concepts, for, con- concepts, formational differences. Notre Dame would get really pissed if I shared anything about specific concepts and formational differences. I do think we're going to say see more RPOs. We've discussed that before. Uh, just from the way that they're practicing, we're going to see more RPOs. That's not revolutionary or a big secret. We've talked about that before, but – We've seen some stuff that's wrinkles, but again, we're not going to see like uh, crazy changes. It's it's more of how you use it, when you use it. They're going to run a lot of the same concepts we saw last year, but you know, Jared Parker may like this one more than Tommy Reese did, or he may like this one less than Tommy Reese did, or he feels better on third down and this looks where Tommy liked these looks. It's, it's true no matter what when you have new coordinators and new coaches coming along as, hey, I like the stuff you ran. I would just do it differently. And it doesn't mean that it's better or worse. It's just what your comfort level is and what your specific personnel on your team is. The per, the past concepts are going to use this. You're going to look way different because the personnel is way different this year than it was last year. Quarterback, a receiver, and a tight end. And so that's why that stuff will look different. But I I would I would get in trouble if I discussed the specifics. I mean, and, and honestly, we haven't seen a ton of these specifics. We haven't seen a single rep of team. No. Now the RVA stuff we see, we see them going through concepts and and uh, you know, and I'll discuss individual routes that a guy may caught, but I'm not going to break down the concepts because I don't want to get my credential revoked. <laughs> so we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
Next question is from Jay Henry. He says, is Oregon missing a list due to losses to Utah? I feel like they should clip USC. Uh, Jay, I, ha- I had Oregon on my list. I had them yeah, at number you did. I didn't, and Josh nine. Pate didn't. Yep. I had him at number the, nine, yeah. Jay. I had him at number nine. I didn't have him in, and 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 uh, and Josh Pate didn't have him in. To me, Oregon, you could make a case for Oregon. Look, they've gone forty-five and sixteen the last five years. They just recruited yep. a really good class with Dan Lanning. He did a good job his first year, but you know, part of my issue with, with Oregon, it's it's really a twofold thing. Ryan is number one. I don't think they're that good. I think they win a lot of games in a pretty weak uh, Pac-12. To be completely honest with you. Uh, they never really look good out of conference this year. They got obliterated by Georgia and barely beat an ins- a North Carolina team that was missing like half its roster. You know, I mean, they had so many guys opt out or were already in the portal by the time that bowl game played, and they still should have lost that game if we're being honest about it. And you know, uh, I, I look at uh, I look at last year. You know, they go on the road and they get blown out by an Oklahoma team that doesn't have their coach. No, they didn't have their coach either. They got destroyed twice by Utah. I mean, they didn't just lose to Utah. Like USC was competitive in one of the two games against Utah. The second game they got blown out, but at least they were, you know, competitive. Georgia got an like Oregon got annihilated by Utah both times last year. Uh, annihilated. They got blown out in a bowl game by Iowa State the year before, uh, and 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 you know you look at 2021. They had a really good win over Ohio State. That is the one I'll give them, but that, that's the anomaly for them. If you look out of conference, they lost to Auburn in 2019 with Justin Herbert, barely beat Wisconsin that year, who was not a very good team. I just I'm just not blown away by Oregon right now, and enough to put them in the top ten. I don't think they're as good as USC. Like moving forward, and Ryan, I think you you um you actually had them ahead of USC, correct? I did, By a yep. spot, yep. I don't think they're better than USC. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't put Dan Lanning. What Dan Lanning's going to do there ahead of of Lincoln Riley? They had a nice year this past year, uh, beating up in a you know winning some games in, in a in a league that wasn't very good, lost to their rival, and just I just don't they're they're in the top fifteen. Top twenty for sure. I just don't have them in the top ten yet because they got to win a, a little something a little bit more meaningful. No big bowl wins, no Pac twelve, you know, uh, <clears throat> title wins the last few years. That I think they, I think they won the Pac twelve in nineteen. Correct, Justin Herbert's last year. Sounds I think they won that year. They beat Utah in the Pac twelve title game. <clears throat> but I just, you know, I don't, I don't see it. And 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 I think losing Dante really hurt them in my view too. If Dante Moore was still at Oregon, I'd have a completely different view of Oregon. Cause I'd be like, boy, they're, they're going to have a star quarterback the next few years. Yeah. I'm projecting them forward. Cause as Caleb Williams is leaving, Dante's taking over that league and I would have a lot different view, but I, 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 I'm not there with them now. Cause like, who's their quarterback going to be in a couple of years. Right. They have some, I mean, Ty Thompson's got some ability, Austin yeah. Novasad's a solid player. You've never been super high on Austin Novasad, right? No. So no. Um, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that's why I don't have him in there, in my view. Yeah, I get but they're it. in the conversation, Ryan. They're certainly in the conversation for me. Just yeah, don't I, I, I just think moving forward, like they've shown that they have, they will put their resources on the table to recruit, and there's going to be talent in that building, like for sure. And I, I don't know. I, I saw a lot of positives out of Dan Lanning year one. I was not big on the Dan Lanning hire, but I was actually pleasantly surprised about some of what he was yeah. able to accomplish in year one. So it's a little bit of projection, but you know, I think that they have the resources to acquire a lot of talents. I mean, you know, Bo Nix was a guy that I wasn't 
very fond of at all at Auburn, mm-hmm. but they got the most out of him in year one. There's no doubt. They got him obviously going back next year. So, you know, they'll hit the transfer portal. They've shown that. They'll recruit on the high school level. They've also shown that. And they have some resources to throw out there for some high school kids as well. So, yep. yeah. I love how you did that. Resources. <laughs> got lots of resources, Barry. Yeah. <laughs> I just like resources. <laughs> there you go. All right. Here you go. Actually, Nathan, Nathan Milton, Milton. Uh, I want to put, he's got a super chat up uh, first, and then I want to bring up his question. Sure. And uh, Nathan's super chat. Thank you so much, Nathan. He says, IB is exceptional. Keep it up, guys. Thank you, sir. Very much appreciate that as well. His question You have started, you have stated in the past, Brian Kelly would go after, wouldn't go after certain quarterbacks. What would Notre Dame's roster look like if Brian Kelly and his staff were still at Notre Dame? Are there any quarter uh, commits Notre Dame doesn't get? Oh boy. Uh, that's, a, there... that's an in-depth one, man. <laughs> yes, man. Um, well, we went through this. There was a lot of guys on defense that they wouldn't have got last year. A lot of guys, they wouldn't have Braylon James. They wouldn't have J- Jaden Greathouse. They probably wouldn't have Jeremiah Love. They wouldn't have, uh, I mean, I think they probably still get CJ Carr. I think they probably still get CJ Carr because CJ loved Tommy Reese. Yeah, and if Tommy was still here, he would have. But here's the thing: would they have been able to keep him when Tommy left? Right, that's a fair question. I think CJ probably has a lot more affinity for. Uh, this is a guess. Uh, would have a lot more affinity for Marcus Freeman than than Brian Kelly because Marcus Freeman has worked harder to have a relationship with him. I think it's very fair. Very yeah, fair. I think there are a lot of guys like that would be there. I don't think Mike Mickens would still be here. I think he'd have left if Brian Kelly was still here. So, you know, your corner class would look a lot different. Yeah. Uh, Marcus Freeman wouldn't still be here. So you probably don't have Jaden Osbury. Probably still keep uh, Drake Bowen. Yeah. You know? Definitely don't have Jaden Osbury. Yeah. Definitely don't have Jaden Osbury. So uh, I'd say there'd be a lot of guys. And you to replace them with the kind of guys that Brian. Look, I tell y'all, I, I don't want to try to do that whole. Everybody gets fired up during spring and, you know, every team's got, you know, 37 teams have a chance to win a championship in March. You know what I mean? Look, I was talking with Pete Sampson about this too, and and he agreed with me. And and Pete and I tend to look at the team differently. And I repeated what I said to you, Ryan, and what I said in the show last week. I think this is Notre Dame's most most athletic team since 2015. And he agreed. Just the depth of athleticism since 2015. I think this team is a lot more talented than a lot of Notre Dame fans think. And I get why y'all feel that way. I do. And it's yeah. and it's show me mode. We all got to see it. All got to see it. But I think this team is a lot more talented than people realize. I really do. What, what, any other guys kind of pop in your head, Ron? Now you hit it. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm just like trying to work through a couple of my minds. Like, I think that you still have a would have a good chance at Charles Jagasaw, Obviously, like I think that you would have him, Christian Gray, maybe, maybe not. Like that one's a tough one. Don Schuler, I feel like you would still have if it was Brian Kelly because he was literally committed to Brian Kelly at the time. So those are a few of the guys, though. But yeah, it would definitely look a lot different, Nathan, to your question, though. And I, would, I wouldn't I would feel as great about where 2024 – yeah, Jay, 100%, man. Like, Kenny Minchie wouldn't be in this class. I don't know what quarterback would be in this class if Brian Kelly was the coach. I have no idea. No idea. And that's no shot at Coach Kelly. Like, literally – I mean, actually, I, I do know. I think that Jackson Arnold would probably be the quarterback in the class if Brian Kelly was here because we know that Jackson was very much liking Notre Dame and – then things change there, right? So they 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 would probably have Jackson Arnold in this class, and I know some people are a lot higher on Jackson Arnold than I am, but that's just kind of 
where I look at at that one. So let's roll through a couple of these questions. I know there's some there's some there's some recruiting related ones that I wanted to definitely hit here as we work through a few of these questions. We had this question from Keith Wagan, who I thought was a really interesting question. It said, if Caleb Brewer commits this weekend, is Andrew Sprague a take as of right now? Keith, that's a great question. I know. We've talked a lot in the chat. If you were on the recruiting hour show yesterday, or we talked about it a little bit in the chat earlier, offensive line recruiting is going to be very interesting moving forward here because you are in a situation where if I look at Notre Dame and I say you have Peter Jones committed in the class, and this is the facts of it, right? This is the facts that we project Peter Jones as a guard long-term at Notre Dame. But that does not necessarily mean that Notre Dame shares that same sentiment that Peter Jones is just a guard, right? He's strictly an interior player. There is a possibility that Peter Jones starts his Notre Dame career as an offensive tackle. That's on the table. We can't excuse that. We can't look past that. We can't. But at the end of the day, if they do get, obviously, you know, on Wednesday – there, there is a there is a decision that is going to be made for a young man that hasn't been on the board too long with Anthony Knapp, who is an offensive lineman out of Georgia. If Notre Dame does receive a commitment from Anthony Knapp, he's a pure interior player. Like he's going to play and center. We feel somewhere. very good yeah. about where they are yes. with him going into tomorrow. Yes. Feel very good. Yes, feel very very good about Anthony Knapp. So if Anthony Knapp is in the class, he is your pure interior player. It is still paramount that Notre Dame gets pure offensive tackle types in this class. We still believe Gerby Lambert is a top priority for Notre Dame, and we also believe that they are pushing hard for a guy like a Caleb Brewer who will be on campus on the twenty uh, on the 29th, or sorry, on the 31st, the last day of this, of this week, um, of this month, excuse me. So I think ideally, Brian, for me, you look at it and say, if you're able to get Knapp and with Peter Jones – you need to fill out this class with two offensive tackle types in this in this class. And I think that Gerby Lambert and Caleb Brewer will be the guys for me that I think would make the most sense personally. Andrew Sprague is an interesting player, and obviously he's a guy that Notre Dame likes. There's no doubt about that. But does he like him as much as Gerby Lambert and Caleb Brewer? I'm not 100% sold on that one, right? So I don't think Sprague would necessarily be a take right now, but he's in the conversation. It really depends on what's happening with Gerby Lambert, man. Like that's that's kind of the – big piece of this puzzle and one that we're still waiting to figure out because he hasn't announced any visits. I keep checking in. He hasn't finalized visits yet. Like you're still wondering what's going anywhere. on with Derby Lambert. Correct. Anywhere. Anywhere. No, anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> literally, uh, literally a source on that side, Brian was like, I will send you the full list of visits when it's finalized and nothing has been finalized yet, man. Like Derby just doesn't have visit plans. So I still think it's Derby Lambert, Caleb Brewer, hopefully the offense tackles in this class. But depending on what happens with Gerby or if Caleb Brewer is in a land for Notre Dame, then you start talking about the Andrew Sprags of the world, which is a guy that Notre Dame likes. And I think that I think that he also really likes Notre Dame. Really likes mm-hmm. Notre Dame. All right, let's get to some more here, Mr. Roberts. Yep. Here's from B Hart 1074. His question is Who are the nose tackles Notre Dame are going after in the 2024-2025 class? So I Look, I, I look th- this one for me, Brian. Like, I think that the whole no tackle three tech stuff is like there's a little bit of a projection to it because I technically you could say like Justin Scott could be a nose, but like it's also a three tech or he can play anywhere right. he wants to, right? But I mean, technically, we could fit him into this this barometer. I'm going to make this more interior defensive lineman. I think that that's a better way to go for it, right? 
Justin Scott is obviously the top target in 2024. They already have a commitment from Owen Wafel out of New Jersey in 2024, who is now up to six foot three, 290 pounds. So he is definitely an interior player on the next level. Like there's no doubt about it. Outside, you're still Notre Dame still recruiting guys like Sean Silverio, who was a, a Florida kid that was in on campus this past weekend. They're still recruiting David Pele Pele, who's a big defensive tackle. Out of the out of Pennsylvania, Canadian kid originally. They're rec- recruiting those types, and then I also think not a nose tackle, but there's some projection for me as far as if Notre Dame does lay in the Smith Twins up in the New England area, right up in Connecticut. Jared Smith is a guy that maybe could be a three tech long term, but he's probably more of a strong side end. But I think the true guys that might be able to play nose, Sean Silverio is one, David Pelle Pelle is one, and then if you want to classify Justin Scott as a nose. Sure. I, I would it. not He's, put Justin Scott as a nose. I would put TJ Lindsay there. I'd put TJ Lindsay in that conversation as a nose. I think TJ Lindsay is going to be a nose at a place like Notre Dame when it's all said and done. Yeah. He's already 290 pounds. I think he he measured in at what six four and a half, two ninety at the uh Somewhere at the, the, ballpark, the junior yeah. that junior event down in San Antonio that you were at. To me, he's a he's a nose. He's definitely a yeah. nose to me. So I'd put him he, in that conversation just, for sure. He's just a little bit of a weird case for Notre Dame right now because we've talked about this, right? Like his timeline, Brian, like he might be a kid that doesn't – he might be a kid that he doesn't pull the trigger on a commitment right. until signing day. Like he might be that type of kid, at least into the season it seems like. And if he does, just might not be a spot for him, right, if he wants to come to Notre Dame. That's the only trouble I have with him. I am not uh, going to say for sure, but I would not – I am not against the idea of putting – uh, Owen Wafel at nose guard. Here's the here's the way I look at it. He is a 25 pound bigger version of Howard Cross. He's an inch taller than Howard, and uh, not 25. He is about a 20 pound bigger version of Howard Cross. He weighed in at over 290 during his visit to Notre Dame, and he did not look big at all. Right, he did not look fat at all when I when he walked by me. I could definitely see him being uh, a a. a nose tackle at Notre Dame as long as they continue I mean he'll be able to eat up space better than Howard Cross did he's to me Owen Wafel's a a a more explosive stronger version of Kurt Heinisch in my opinion like and give me that right I mean definitely give me that Notre Dame made up two playoff teams with Kurt Heinisch taking a lot of snaps at nose guard right I think Wafel could be a better version of that 2025 Ryan, I think it's a little bit of a different deal. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that class is, <clears throat> that class is a little bit uh, it's, it's early there. You yeah. know, they've only offered six nose tackles period. I mean, six defensive tackles period. And so some of far. them are a little bit undersized right now. Yeah. And you're not hundred percent yeah. sure how they're going to develop. Right? Davion Dixon nose tackle type of guy to me. Yeah, maybe DJ Sanders, but I don't even know where they are with DJ Sanders, right? Tyler Parker yeah. being nose tackle. I don't know how serious their name is about him and vice versa. So it's way too early for 2025 yes. to know who those guys are going to be, yeah. in my opinion. Because the heaviest guy on that board right now is Davion Dixon at 305, and then there's no other guy. I mean, Tyler Parker's 290, DJ Sanders 290, and then you're talking about a bunch of 250s, 265s on that list, right? right. So it's like – how does like Landon Rink develop? Two sixty-five like, no sophomores sometimes turn out to be two hundred ninety, three hundred pound seniors. That's why it's just exactly. too early, you know. To yep. your point, right? So it's a little bit too early. Yep. Um, a little bit too early for me, to be honest with you. Start asking about twenty twenty-six. Maybe we'll have. Some yeah. Please, please don't say that. Please don't say that. <laughs> All right. 
Let's see here, Ryan. Let's go to uh, – we got one from Jay Henry re- real quick. Jay's question. This may be one-on-one question, but what exactly does the run game coordinator get to do? Does he only get to call runs when J- when Parker agrees to them? Well, it's not so much calling plays. The run game coordinator doesn't call plays. A, a runner pass game coordinator usually, usually – has a big say in putting the game plan together on that part of the game. He has a lot of responsibility of, hey, I'm the OC, Ryan's my run game coordinator. I need to know the fronts that they use against what personnel. I need to know their run stunts that they use. I need to know, you know, what their what the pressures they bring. I need to know how they handle the red zone. I need to know all that. I need you to be my guy that breaks all that down. And then we'll sit down together and say what stuff is going to work this week against them. And I'm going to take your thoughts into consideration clearly when it comes to that. But at the end of the day, the OC is still the one putting it all together and calling the place. Now, there may be situations, if you have a really good relationship with your staff, there will be situations where you will talk to your run game. You know, Let's say for Dela McCullough for Notre Dame, and Dela's like, hey, the guys are saying and and you know that, that they that they think the zone inside zone is there. We're running duo. And they the way they're slanting to us every time. We they think that if we pop an inside zone, we're cutting that sucker back and there's this big gaping hole there. Okay, cool. Let's do it, right? Like that—that's happened in in games I've coached, Ryan. I know it's happened in games you coach where the players are like, "Hey, coach, this is there. This is there. Let's go there." And then that's relayed to the OC, and he decides if he's going to run it or not. You know, so you'll have stuff like that. But you you got to be careful that you pick and choose those battles. And that's something I learned as a pass game coordinator: is you can't just be in the 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 play caller's ear every time trying to tell him what to run, because right. eventually he's going to say, "Shut up." And I don't want to hear Jeff. So you have to pick and choose. Number one, always wait, let have him ask you, but then also be like, you know, wait till in between series. Don't do it right in the middle of a game of a, of a series. That's, that's where you get into problems, you know, things like that. So I think those are, those are important parts of it as well. In my yep. opinion. So good question. This is another good question right here from Josh. From Josh Buffett, the motivation business banker, who wins the head-to-head matchup against 2002-2003 Miami or 19 LSU? Oh, oh man, that's an easy one for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah? It's 19 LSU because the great, the really great elite Miami team was the 01 team. Yeah, the 02 team that beat oh the 02 team lost to Ohio State. Yeah, I mean they'd get killed because they they weren't they weren't quite the same team. They weren't as hungry. And they were a little further away from the Butch Davis, uh, the Butch Davis teams, and and I definitely think the 2003 Miami team would have lost to um, to LSU, no doubt about it. Now the, the the interesting question would have been Ryan is if you were to look at the 01 team, that to me would have been a much much. I mean the, the 2003 team lost to Virginia Tech 31 to seven. Yeah. So, you know, lost to Tennessee at home 10 to 6. That team, that team would have would have been really good. The 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 0-2 team was really good, but they weren't quite as dominant as the 0-1 team, in my opinion. That 0-1 team was insane. I mean, they were they were absolutely insane. They beat Penn State 33 to 7, blew up Pitt on the road, blew up Florida State on the road 49-27, beat West Virginia 45 to 3. Beat number 15 Syracuse 59 to nothing. Beat number 11 Washington in November 65 to 7. Uh, and then had a, uh, uh, they had a close road game at Blacksburg that year against Virginia Tech. And then they just m- destroyed, absolutely destroyed um, uh, 
Nebraska in the national championship game. That that 01 Miami team was legit. That was a legit team. I that team, and you had like Ed Reed was on that team. Like that team was loaded. I mean, because here's the thing: can you hang up with their? Can you hang? Can you hang with their pass game? Right. Well, that 01 team had Antrell Roll and Mike Rumpf at corner, and Ed Reed at safety. Yes. You know, like, and, and excuse me, Ed Reed and Sean Taylor at safety, and your nickel, your number three corner was Philip Buchanan, who went on to be also be a first round draft pick. So yep. that's number one, right? Can can you can you do that? And then the second question is, can you put pressure on the quarterback? Well, that team had Vince Wolfork, who was he was a freshman on the team. You had William Joseph, Jerome McDougal. Uh, you had uh, Jamal Green. Like, yeah, you had at linebacker. You had Jonathan Vilma. You had DJ uh, Williams. Yes, yeah, DJ Williams. Actually, no, DJ was a fullback on that team. Fullback. Yes, okay. yes, DJ was a fullback that year. Uh, I believe DJ DJ started his career at fullback and didn't move until to linebacker. Um, actually, like partly through the 01 season. Like it's he so he didn't start the year and I don't believe he started the year in at fullback. I'm gonna have to, to look that or at linebacker. I'm gonna have to look that up. But uh, yeah, he was he because in the oh the 2000 season. Remember, he caught like a wheel route in one of their big games as a fullback uh, that season. But uh, that's how loaded that team was. Ryan that's is uh, yeah, that's um, yeah. He was was, was Ken loaded. Dorsey the quarterback on that team? Ken Dorsey yes. the quarterback. Yeah. He was he was and he was also the QB in 02 as well. Yes. Yeah, I remember so, in 02. Yeah. I guess he my question would be if uh, if you get into a little bit of a shootout like Burrow versus Ken Dorsey, right? Like that's a little bit of a conversation. Yeah, but Ken Ken Dorsey was was le- was legit. But here's the thing. Here here they could my, Miami team could control the clock. Here here's who Miami had at running back that year, Ryan. Clinton Portis. Yep. Frank Gore. Yep. Najee Davenport. Willis McGahee. It's That's not pretty good. Was Jared Payton, Payton on that team too? Was he Jared was. Payton on that? Jared yeah. Payton was on that team as well. Fifth yeah. string running back, not bad. Yeah, no, he he was he was he was pretty good. He was pretty good. So and I believe that 01 team had Jeremy Shockey at tight end. I believe. You had Kellen Winslow. Yeah, Jeremy Jared Shockey Shockey's. was also on that team. Yeah. Uh at, at wide receiver. I mean, you know, you you, you had just Johnson. you had just missed the Santana Moss, Reggie Wayne combination, but you still had Andre Johnson, you had Kevin Baird, you had Jeremy Shockey, you had Roscoe Parrish. You still had Kellen Winslow uh, Jr. was a freshman on that team. You yeah. still had some dudes. You could throw the football, and you know that that was a that was a really good, really good. Bryant McKinney at offensive line. That team was ridiculous. It was basically it was basically a Pro Bowl yes. team on a college. The O one team was, in my opinion, significantly better than the O two team. Better talent, but also that team was that O one team was hungry. The O two yeah. team was not. The O two team was a lot like was a more talented version of Florida State's twenty fourteen team. They just won because they had better players than everybody else. But then they felt they met met an Ohio State team that was more that wasn't afraid of them. That was willing to punch them in the mouth and then out coached them, and they couldn't win yeah. because of that. And I mean, there were some questionable calls, blah blah blah. But talent wise, that game should never been close. If we're just talking who had the better roster, that game should not have been. And Ohio State has some dudes on that team too. But I'm sorry, that game should not. You had freaking Craig Krenzel at quarterback. That game should not have been close. Should Chicago, not have been close. Chicago Bear legend Craig Krenzel. Yes, 
Yes. So, yeah, it should not have been close. Should not have been close. All right, let's get to a few more here, Ryan. I'll, I'll, ask this one since, I'll ask this one since this is a recruiting question. This is from Irishman7114. Did Elijah rushing visit? Where is the that recruitment, and do we have a real shot? So He has not visited yet. His, yeah, his he has. Official- he has not officially visited yet. He visited uh, over the summer. Over the summer. I'm sorry. He, has I'm sorry. I thought we were talking about yeah. he hasn't visited this spring. Yes, yeah. yes. So he has an official visit set up for June 9th through the 11th. That's also the same weekend that – Anthony Carey, the running back out of Florida, will be on campus. So that's kind of, you know, I, I, I talked about this a little bit yesterday, but do you have a shot, right? Anytime you have a, get an official visit from a player, you have a shot, right? Anytime you get him on campus, you have a shot. Is it a realistic shot? Is he, it, do I, what, Let me rephrase. Would I predict Notre Dame to get Elijah Rushing? I would not currently. But mm-hmm. ask me my opinion after the official visit because it may change entirely. Right, you have a chance to move the needle for the guy. So, do you have a shot? Yes, because you're getting him on campus in an official visit opportunity. But at the end of the day, you know there is a long way to go. You know that's June 9th through 11th. We are sitting here at the end of March, so got a little bit of time to let this one yeah. marinate a little bit. Notre Dame to continue to, to to put their best forward in that one. So we shall see. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna. So this one from Ladarius says, "01 Miami versus 19 LSU. Who wins?" And he says, "Miami by double digits." I'd probably go with Miami, but I don't know if it'd be by double digits. I think it'd be a really competitive game. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The difference is Miami had a better defense. That's what it comes down to. Miami's defense could it would it wouldn't shock me if it was a lot like the 05 USC Texas game. And it just came down to whose defense is going to make stops at the end. And I I think Miami's would have made a, a a stop or two in that game to win. I don't think LSU's defense could have stopped that Miami offense. And that Miami the thing is that Miami offense was good but it wasn't like what it was nothing like what LSU's is I just feel like LSU's offensive line that year was good it wasn't elite Miami's defensive line was really good yeah but I I think Miami would have won in the end the only way to me the only way it was double digits is if Miami would have like scored late to put it away you know like seven point game LSU goes for a fourth down they don't get it Miami goes down there and puts it away it was a touchdown but it would have been a competitive game no doubt in my opinion it would have been a great game very fun game to watch. I I wish we could have game. I wish like there was a way like to, you know, have something like that. Like, you know, you have a, uh, have like a, a time machine, you know, <laughs> right. go back and bring the Miami team back to 2019. That'd be a fun game to watch. You can uh, just simulate, you can just simulate on NCAA when it yeah, comes back. So it's not the same. It's not the same. All right, here we go. Here's from Jason Rose. Jason says, "Hey guys, people are talking about 2024 being the year for Notre Dame. I guess I don't uh, don't see it that way. With potentially guys like Alt, Estime, and Diggs gone, thoughts." So first of all, Notre Dame fans need to get out of that Brian Kelly mindset of wait till next year. Yeah. How about this year's team? Number one, three's got a shot, man. Uh, yes, shot. but yeah. look, here's the deal. Number one, you're assuming that three guys are going to be gone that we don't know that they're going to be gone. I would say, I'd, if I was a betting man, I'd say two of those three are going to be gone. Maybe all three, but definitely two of those three. Yeah. But again, that's what good teams do. You lose players and you replace them with other really good players. I mean, that's just kind of what you do. And so, yeah, you lose Sam Hartman. That's a big loss to replace him with Tyler Buckner or Kenny Minchie or CJ Carr. You know, you're, you're, you're not going to have those running. Okay, fine. You've got your Darian Price and Jeremiah Love. And, and if one of those two running backs does come back and now, Ryan, you're going to be a much more receiver driven offense. 
because all your receivers are coming back most likely that next year and all your tight ends are coming back. And, you know, and so, you know, maybe Blake Fisher comes back. Okay. We just move Blake Fisher over to left tackle and you're still pretty good there, you know, and, you know, you're going to have a lot. Benjamin Morrison's going to be back in 2024. You're going to have a lot of your defensive linemen are going to be back in 2024. So I, but that's what good teams do, man. Like you lose talent. Like perfect. Notre Dame lost Michael Floyd and Harrison Smith off the 2011 team that went eight and five. And the next year they went out and went 12 and 0. You know, I mean, that, that stuff happens. So uh, they're going to still be very talented. So yep. you say you just don't see it. Well, first of all, we haven't even seen them play 2023 yet. Why are we talking about 2024? I'm not talking about you, Jason. I'm talking about people that are saying that. How about we let this team develop first? But that would be my thing is I think this team is going to be very good in 2024, but I don't really care about 2024. I want to see this team make a run in 2023. And then once yep. 2023 is over, we can talk about 2024. But that's where it needs to get to. That that whole wait till next year stuff is such a – that's a relic of the Brian Kelly era that I want to die. Yep. I want it to absolutely die. And for us to become a program, I can't wait for this season. Because, I mean, that's what that's what Georgia should have done. Georgia should have been like, hey, man, we lost 15 guys in the NFL. We're going to have some three freshmen starting for most of the year on defense. We're going to be good this year, but wait till 2020. No, Kirby said, F that. We're, we're going to try to win a championship now because we're Georgia, and that's what we do. I, and that's the it. mentality. And I'll say this, Ryan. You know what makes me happy? I know for a fact that the Notre Dame coaching staff does not feel this way. They're not that's worried true. about 2024. They're yeah. worried about 2023. I, I hated that that whole line after Georgia won. It was like, oh, and they won in a rebuilding year. I'm like, no, good programs reload. They don't rebuild. Like, that's kind of where we are. Right. We have to get out of this mindset. And I understand that we have been hurt in the past. I totally get it. But let's raise the expectations, man. Like, let's do this thing, right? And yeah. the other thing about 2023 that's interesting is a lot of the top-tier programs – are bringing in new quarterbacks, man. Like right. we can't, we can't look past that, right. right? Like Alabama's bringing a new quarterback, Georgia, Ohio State. There's a lot of teams that are breaking in new quarterbacks. Like I don't think that we should ever look past this year. Ryan, every team, I believe, every team that I have ranked ahead of Notre Dame as a program is breaking in a new quarterback. The closest thing you could make to a guy not being new is is uh, Cade Klubnick at Clemson because he started the bowl game, right? Didn't he start the bowl game because DJ? Did DJ start I, the I, bowl game? I think DJ started. He struggled early, okay. and then Cade came in. So least. then Cade didn't start any games last year, but he still at least played. Yeah, that's the closest you can get. Kyle McCord has no big. He has a start, but it was in 2021 against somebody like Akron or something like that. Alabama's gonna have a brand new quarterback, and Georgia's gonna have a brand new quarterback. Neither and none of those three teams, none of those four teams, got transfers that are like a Sam Hartman. So, that, but in 2024, those all t- those teams are all going to be returning a starter. So, how about you try to make a run this year, and then yes. we'll we'll figure out next year when we get to that point in time. But I, I'm looking forward to seeing. Like we're talking about what happens after Sam Hartman's gone before we even Sam Hartman we've seen have Sam Hartman play a game. Like I, I want to see what they can do this year. That's what I want to see. So, but yeah, I really did think that. I thought Cade Klubnik played in that game. I, I could be wrong. He definitely that. played. Start, I, I mean, started in that game. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, but anyway, the, the point is I want to see what this team can do. I, I'm just, again, I, I'm so ready to be done with that whole wait till next year mentality for Notre Dame. I'm so ready to be done with it. Yeah. I really am. Yeah, uh, DJ didn't throw a pass in that game. 
Oh, so he, did he opt out of there? He entered yeah, the portal? I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think that might have been the case. I guess that was the ACC championship game then. Yeah, the, he started the ACC yeah. title game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, here we go. Here's another one from Brandon. Brandon's question, BD, when's the last time you remember Notre Dame offering, getting a player from East St. Louis, Illinois? There are two studs from there in 2025 in and Miller and Jason Dowell, but academics has been an issue there. Apparently. I think you kind of answered your own question. I mean, that's a, yeah. and, and it's more Missouri than it is Illinois in, in every type of demographic possible. It's just not going to be an area Notre Dame's going to make a killing with. But like any other area, you know, there will be that one kid who comes every now and then, but it's just not a very pro Notre Dame area. It's nowhere near Chicago. It's just, yeah, it's, I can't even remember the last time, like you said, Brent, they've even offered a kid from there, much less. I think there's a, a skill player a few years ago that got an offer, but it was like an offer. And then we never heard about him again because he didn't have, he didn't have the academic profile to get there. So that that's the reason. That's it right there. That's the reason right there. From Tristan Paul, recently moved to the Panhandle of Florida. The Florida State community is very excited about Mark Norvell. What are y'all thoughts on him? I think he's pretty solid, but wonder if he can build their program back up. I, I like what Mike Norvell's done. I do. He's done a nice job with the portal. He's added kids, but not going to it insanely like USC did. Uh, recruiting is is slowly getting better. Yeah. And his – look – Ryan, you know, I really feel like you you find out a lot about a coach, not from how he handles a, a, a successes, but how does he handle adversity? And that was one of my biggest issues with Brian Kelly is I never felt like he handled adversity well, and it always limited how good his team could handle adversity, in my opinion, like lo- losing games. And last year, Florida State went through a stretch last year where they started the season off great. They have the win over LSU, which is huge. They go on the road and beat Louisville, a team that had given them a lot of problems in previous years. They blow out Boston College, who at the time we still had some somewhat high expectations for before we realized just how bad they were. And then they lose at home by, to Wake Forest by 10. They go on the road and they completely choke away the NC State game. Should have won that game, completely choked it away. It looked like old Florida State. And then the next week they lose to Clemson, and you're thinking, okay, here we go again. Florida State's going to – and. They bounced back so impressively, Ryan. They had a bye week after Clemson. They were able to kind of gather themselves. They whooped Georgia Tech, and that started them on the run where they didn't have another competitive game until the Florida game. They beat Georgia Tech by 25, beat Miami on the road by 42, beat Syracuse on the road by 35, beat Louisiana Lafayette by 32, and then beat Georgia or beat Florida 45-38, and then had a, in a it was a great game. That bowl game with Oklahoma was a fun game to watch, man. And then won that game. And I'm like, you know what? The fact that he was able to get that team back on track after those losses and rally that team, that's the first time in forever since probably – I mean, even 2013, Florida State didn't face any adversity in 2013. They killed everybody. That ACC was terrible that year. They hadn't faced adversity like that forever and handled it well. I, had, I can't remember the last time I saw a Florida State team show any kind of intestinal fortitude, and that team did. That team battled, and that said a lot to me about where he's getting the culture because that was his biggest thing, Ryan. It wasn't a talent problem at Florida State as much as it was a culture problem. I'm not saying they had top 10 talent when he came in. The talent was good enough to be top 25, but the culture was barely top 100. Yeah, I mean, it was bad. And he got them to the point where that team battled. And, and we saw it a little bit in 21. 
know, they competed hard against Notre Dame. You know, they had they start the season with four losses. They kind of rally, and then they have chances late, but they can't hold on. But we saw that team competed a little bit. But last year's team rallying back from those three straight losses to run the table and and just crush people. That said a lot to me about where Mike Norvell's taking this team. That impressed me a lot, more so than beating LSU early. Yeah. Because you could argue, hey, they had a game advantage. They had a warm-up game where LSU didn't. You can make a lot of excuses for that. Uh, blocked extra point. If, if they don't miss the extra point, blah, 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 whatever. That was a good win, but it's 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 what he did after they had some adversity that told me Mike Norvell's turning the corner with this program. Well, I think that I think that's a big reason why a lot of their top guys came back this year too, right, Brian? I mean, you talk mm-hmm. about Jordan Travis returning to school, Jared Verse, Johnny Wilson was a guy that I know kind of thought about going to the NFL for a little bit there. So you had three of your best players return, which tells you that the culture is better. There's no doubt. I think the next step now, because I think Mark Nightwinville has done a, really well, you know, this past year with the talent that he had. The next step is. Can starting to get more and more recruiting wins, right? Starting getting more and more talent because yeah, they've hit the portal a couple of times. I just mentioned two of them, right? You got Jared Verse, you got Johnny Wilson. Those were two massive, mm-hmm. you know, hauls from the transfer portal. But on the high school route now, having more and more wins, right? That recruiting profile I think needs to take a step up. But I think right. the culture is improving. I think there's buy-in, and I think he's a good coach. So yeah. if you start acquiring more talent. I think Florida State has a chance to get back to that level, but obviously it's a process, and Mike Norvell is is forthcoming to that process, right. and he's working working with it right now. And they're off to a good start. I mean, their their 2023 class, at least from a start standpoint, is is they're off to a good start. But you you are correct; they need to do a much better job of recruiting. They did finish with a with the number 19 class in the country last year, Ryan, which is a good step. Yeah. Yes, it's it's a good step from where they were. I mean, they were really struggling on the recruiting trail, in my opinion, the, two, the couple previous years. Their his last couple classes have definitely improved. I think there's a perception that he's not recruiting well because a they used to be so much better, but also he's had some really big losses. Like losing Travis Hunter to Jackson State was a yeah. crushing blow. You know, some guys like that. But he, I thought he's, yeah. I think he's recruited well, and and, and started to turn the corner. It is tough being in that southeast, especially in Florida, with a couple of schools around you are very NIL operate, right? <laughs> you know, you got to compete against the Miamis and the Floridas of the world who we'll throw out a little bit more money than what Florida State's going to throw out, obviously. Yeah. So that kind of hurts a yeah. little bit, the recruiting side of things. Yeah. But I think Florida State's one of those programs, because of their tradition, if they're winning, you'll see yeah. some kids be willing to take less money to go there. I, sure. I, I think I think you will. I mean, in Florida, that's still a program that has some – some carries some weight a little bit still uh, yep. with some people. Yeah, I do. I, I And I think – Look, I'm I'm a big believer in this, Ryan. I think programs like Florida State being getting back to being a, a top ten team is great for Notre Dame because hey, Notre Dame doesn't play them every year, so it's not like it hurts them. Notre Dame and Florida State don't recruit against each other a ton. You know who he, they do recruit against a lot? Georgia, yeah. Bama, Clemson. In a Florida State and Miami and Florida. LSU are starting to take more and more of those kids away from Alabama and Georgia. It, it it brings those programs down and makes it easier for others to close the gap. I'm a big believer that Notre Dame has a better chance to win when it's a deeper college football than they do when there's two teams just way out ahead of everybody else. Yeah, I do. 
because now all of a sudden you may beat Bama for that one kid because Bama's not the juggernaut that they've been, and same thing with Georgia. So I, I think it's good for college football if Texas gets back to being Texas and if USC is really good and if Florida State's back to being really good and Miami's back to being some version of the U. I think all of that is great. Penn State's not only talented but coached well. Michigan's really good. Oklahoma's good. I think that's all good for college football, and it's good for Notre Dame because it weeds out some of those players because Notre Dame's still going to get theirs, Ryan. It just means Alabama and Georgia, and to a degree Ohio State, aren't just running away with recruiting wins every year the way that they are now. I think it's huge for college football if that happens. Okay. I really do. I really do. From Robert Bishop, says, is Notre Dame still recruiting Bronte Johnson or has that ship sailed? Still recruiting him. It's yeah. just Robert. It's it's the the ultimate question, and we've talked about this a ton. Is when it's when it's time to sign the dotted line, right? Will the academic side of things all check out, and will he be a fit in that department? That's all it is, man. There's no questioning Bronte Johnson's talent. There's no question that that Notre Dame really likes Bronte Johnson's talent, right? Mm-hmm. Like all that stuff is apparent. It's just about the fit. Can the fit work? That's the question I have. Look, Bronte likes Notre Dame. Notre Dame likes Bronte. It's about whether or not they can get him into school. We've been saying that for a long time. It's as simple as that. If they can get him into school, I think he comes here. If they can't, then he won't. I think Bronte's a good kid. I think he fits Notre Dame in a lot of ways. He likes Notre Dame. It's just yeah. that's the question. Fort Wayne is a tough place for kids to be able to get the education they need to be successful. I've recruited that state. It's it's. I mean, I've recruited that city. When I was at Defiance, I saw a lot of bad transcripts, Ryan. And it's just, when you see a lot of bad transcripts, you get to the point where, like, this isn't all on the kids when they all have crap transcripts. Nah. Oh, it's not on the kids you know, like, at this all. Is just, this is a bad it. education system, in my opinion. And I just, yes. the, city's, the sta- city schools in the Fort Wayne area just are not good public schools. And um, I think that that's kind of what hurt, what's hurting Bronte right now. But the staff thinks he can be successful. It's just about whether or not you can get him into school. And that's going to be... That's going to be a challenge. That's going to definitely be a challenge for me. Here's a very interesting, interesting question, Ryan, as we, as we get close to wrapping up. This is a good one from Jay Henry. Jay says, is Dylan Rayola a better prospect than Jimmy Clausen? Not right now. I, I don't right think now. Dylan Rayola is a better prospect than CJ Carr right now. Like He's got a ton of talent, but Dylan is still a raw quarterback, in my opinion. Jimmy Clausen was one of the best high school quarterbacks I've ever seen. So no, Dylan has a t- Dylan is more Nico than he is Dante or Jimmy Clausen, in my opinion. Would you agree with that, Ryan? Like big arm, talent, but just still a, needs a lot of work. He is not a Trevor Lawrence step in day one and you're the guy type of quarterback. He's just not. I mean, he still needs development. There's no doubt. Yeah. I I think he's a little further along than Nico at this age, though. So I would. No, I didn't say he was the same as I said he's more Nico than he is Jimmy Clausen because those guys were ready at this like, age. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, Jimmy sure. is a junior in high school now, partly because Jimmy was a year older. But Jimmy, you knew Jimmy was going to step in and be a freshman starter. You knew Trevor Lawrence by his junior year was going to be a freshman starter. You knew those guys were going to develop. Sure. Dylan is not that guy right now. Just like Nico is not that guy right now. That's what I'm referring to. He's a That's different funny. player than Nico. I'm saying he's more like Nico in that he's still in the developmental stage with tons of ability than he is Jimmy or Dante, who are the day they step foot on campus, those guys are ready to play. That's what I'm referring to, right? That's what I mean by that. Yeah, that's fair. But I, I get there with that one. Yep. Love his arm. He's a quality athlete. He's got all the physical tools in the world to be a great quarterback. I just don't think he's there yet. 
His ceiling is higher than CJ's. But I think right now, if I had to pick a quote between those two quarterbacks to go out and win me a game right now, I'm taking CJ. I am. I'm taking CJ. Yeah. Because he can run my offense. That's that's what I'm looking at it. All right, let's get to um let's get to a last couple here, Ryan, and we're gonna get up out of here. Let's see here. Um uh, real quick, somebody says, uh, does he go to the same high school as Jalen Smith? Jalen Smith went to a private school. He went to Bishop Lures. Uh Bronte goes to does doesn't he go to North doesn't he go to Northside? Northside, yep. Northside. Yeah, he goes to yep. one of the public schools. And that's the same issue that they're having with um with Mylon Graham. I mean, they liked him. He camped at Notre Dame this summer. He was really good at their camp, but you know, he just the academic pieces and he actually goes to a little bit better school than Bronte does at New Haven, but it's just the academic piece isn't there. Can't touch them. And they really can't touch them. No chance. So uh, yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit of a different deal. Like there's some schools like right outside of uh, Fort Wayne that are much better academic schools, but those city schools in Fort Wayne are not good. And, and that's, and honestly, that's why we recruited Fort Wayne at defiance. Cause I, I've told y'all before our academic standard was, do you have a pulse and can you spell your name? I mean, I could talk them into bringing just about anybody into school. And so we'd get these kids that are really good football players, but just couldn't get into school anywhere else. And we'd bring them to defiance and, you know, so I've, I've seen a lot of transcripts from high schools in Fort and Fort Wayne, and it's not pretty. It's and again, it's like with coaching when there's a kid here, a kid there with bad grades, you say, ah, kid's not doing the work. But when you just see it constantly, there's, there's problems with the coaches. There's problems with the school. There's a lot of different issues that, that, that are, that are problematic that, that put the kid behind the eight ball when it comes to and a lot of those kids have parents that have to, you know, both parents have to work. They, some have to work multiple jobs. They don't have, t- they're not home as m- enough to be able to, to really stay on top of it that way and be as engaged. You'd like for them to be that way, but it's just, it's a, it's a lot harder. It's just a lot harder. doesn't mean it can't get done. It's just a lot harder in my yep. opinion. Agree. But yeah, the, uh, the, they like them, but yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, man. Here's one from Joe Turgeon. Joe's question is, what if Notre Dame goes 10 and two, but wins all three of the pillar games? What's your assessment? I guess my question would be, what are the two games they lose if they win all those pillar games? That would be disappointing to me. Yeah. But it would still, I'll say this right. It would be disappointing to me, but it would move the needle in a big way. Like, let's just say they lose in game three to NC State. Early season, team is still getting there, and they, they drop that game. They go out and beat Ohio State. And then let's say that next week you go on the road and you lose to Duke. I'm not feeling great. But if you end that season with wins over USC and Clemson and run the table and go 10 and 2, your your momentum is going in a great direction. I would be disappointed because I'm like, you had a huge missed opportunity. You had to freaking beat one of those two teams. You had if you just beat Duke, you're in the playoff, right? Huge missed opportunity. But perception-wise, the wins over Ohio State, Clemson, and USC would be needle movers from a recruiting standpoint. But I would then start getting concerned about, okay, we know Marcus Freeman can get his team ready to play in these big games, but I'm really concerned about his ability to get these teams ready to play the not big-time teams. Because now we're a four-year stretch. You've got losses to Marshall, Stanford, a Duke, uh, and NC State teams that you should beat. Yeah, you're, you know, was a four and two against the pillar teams. That's great. Yeah. But – you're not going to get where you need to get to if you're winning those games, but losing these, 
you're the opposite of Brian Kelly, but the end result is the same. Right? Where Brian Kelly never lost those other games, but he always lost, almost always lost the pillar games. To me, it's the same. And the result at the end of this deal is the same. You're not good enough to be a champion. But I would say this I'd feel a lot better about Freeman being able to fix that than than Kelly fixing winning the big games. Would you? Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Because the margin for error is so, so much smaller in those games where you're matched up against great teams. Right. I mean, right. Let, let, let's call Let's All right. Look, the Marshall game last year is a great example. Right, Brian? Awful. Right. Like, this is an awful loss for Notre Dame. But if you played them 10 times, you're going to win nine out of 10. It just so happened that that was the day that Marshall beat you. Right. Like, that was right. the day. So the margin for error is still so much higher because you are more talented than Marshall is. But if I'm right. LSU going against Alabama every year at like, your talent gap is very small there. And usually Alabama's on the other side of the talent gap, right? So right. 100%. And I I think coaching matters most in the games where the margin is so much smaller, right? Mm-hmm. Where you where the where the the time management, where making a right decision in the right time, calling a timeout in an appropriate area of the game, like all those things matter so much more in those games where the talent level is very small fraction right but in those in those big games sometimes they're just flukes but at the end of the day to your point you need to win them all because Notre Dame's an independent and they can't drop two games man like you just can't drop them nor nor and the thing for me right is they wouldn't belong with those two hey you beat those really good teams yeah I get that but you still lost to those other two teams exactly you know it's a a full resume it's not just the two games right you know, hey, we had some big wins. Okay, great. But you also had some bad losses. But I, I would feel better about that than I would about if they went 10 and 2 and went 1 and 2 against the Nipolar games. I'd feel a lot better about uh, Joe's scenario yeah. than the other one. Cause then it's just like, it's same old, same old. And, it, and the reason why is it goes to the point that I made. I'd feel a lot better about Marcus Freeman's ability in 2024 to win those those layup games that they lost because they weren't focused enough then to say, Hey, do you know how to get your team ready to play those big games? Cause honestly, if you go back and look at Lou Holtz's tenure, a lot of his losses were like games. You're like, how the heck did you lose that game? Like, how did you beat this team and this team, but you lost to freaking Stanford. Right. You know, there were years like that at, at Notre Dame under Lou Holtz where you're like, uh, what was it? Um, there was it the 1990 team. I think it was a 1990 team where, you know, they beat Miami that year uh they beat michigan that year uh they beat michigan state on the road that year beating number nine tennessee on the road that year but then they lost at home to stanford and then lost at home to penn state you're like what you beat number 18 usc on the road like 1990 notre dame beat number four michigan number 24 michigan state number two miami number nine tennessee number 18 usc but they lost two home games one to stanford and one to penn state stanford finished that year five and six ryan and Penn State finished that year 10th or 11th in the AP. But still, again, like how do you lose those games? I know like Rocket, I think, got hurt in, in one of I think the Stanford game or the Penn State game. And then you go on, you go in the bowl game and you you almost beat number one. You're a clipping penalty away from beating number one Colorado. Like that's what Lou, that's what was the issue in Lou Holt, Lou Holtz's years, right? At, at times was they'd win the big games and then they had this upset loss to a team. You're like, how the heck did you lose to that team? Like the uh, the 1992 Notre Dame team is another example. You tied Michigan, 
you blew you blew out number nine Boston College fifty four to seven. You beat number twenty two Penn State. You went on the road and beat a ranked USC team, but then you lost at home to Stanford thirty three to sixteen. That kept if they don't lose that game, they're playing for a national championship at the end of the year, right? I mean, that's a fact. You're, you're playing probably either Miami or, or or Alabama for a championship that year. So, um, yeah. You don't, you don't, because here, end of the day, they both injured that type of Lou Holtz result, injured the same place that the Brian Kelly ended you, not playing for a title. Yep. And so that's why I'd say, um, I'd still feel better about that than going, what, what, would, what about you, Ryan? How would you feel like? Would you rather them go 10 and two where they go said, one and two in the pillar games or? Yeah. Yeah. We talked about it a little bit already. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I think that the margin for error kind of lessens when you're playing against the better team. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's easier to fix them losing the occasional blunder against a Marshall than not being able to beat Ohio State, right? Like that's much right. more fixable because the talent gap's not the issue there. It's just something that's holding you back from beating those small, those le- inferior opponents, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Right. Good question. And then here's the last one from ND Troll Sniper. Uh, Their question is, what do you think happens if Jadarian Price comes back in full form? Do the coaches split carries between him, Esteban Diggs, or does Esteban Diggs get get bumped to third string? I think he's still third string. Look, an Achilles injury, Ryan, even if he's back to full form, he still has one of those injuries where I'm limiting his reps a little bit. I don't want to completely make him a bell cow. And, yes, he beat those guys out last year. Some people would say he beat those guys out last year. Audric and Logan both went into the spring with like lower body things that slowed him down. That allowed Jadaren to get there. That yeah. was part of it too. But he's coming back from a pretty major injury. And even if he's healthy, I'm not doing something that's going to put him in jeopardy or I lose him again. And then I've lost the guy that I put on the bench for him. Yeah, I would work him back in. Put him on kick return. Him and I'll say it again. I'm hit my two kick returners this year. If if I'm if as long as they're going to use Chris Tyree the way we think they're going to use him, my kick returners are J- are Jadarian Price and Jeremiah Love. If if Jeremiah's if Jaden Jadarian Price is healthy, that's how I get him touches right there. Number one, he's going to be my number three running back that'll that'll get a couple you know few, just like how they use Chris. I mean, how they use Chris Tyree last year, Ryan, is exactly how they should use Jadarian Price this year in the games where we didn't like how they use Chris Tyree. Yeah. You know, know, putting him in every now and then letting him do some of those things, you know, just run the offense, but he gets five carries a game. You know what I mean? That's how they should use Jerry price this year and then build him, get him healthy, get him back in the flow of things. And then when one or two of those guys, um, one of the two of those guys, uh, you know, move on the next year, then Jadarian's ready to go. So that's, that's how I would do it. Don't rush a guy back too quick from an Achilles injury, man. That's right. all I'll say about it. I mean, we've seen in the past, you know, guys getting rushed back too quick on ACL tears, and it can mm-hmm. ends up being like a little bit of a setback, right? Like, don't right. do it on Achilles, man. Achilles can be a career ender. It can be. Like, yeah. those things are not something to mess with. That is – an Achilles today is what was, was what an ACL tear used to be about like 15 years ago, right, when modern medicine was a little bit better, like a career ender. Achilles are bad, man. Don't mess mm-hmm. with those things. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Because we're not even sure that he can come back full 100%. form from that. I mean, that's a legitimate question. But even if he does, and I just don't think there's any reason to have him ahead of those guys if they're both healthy. Now, I'll say yeah. this. If you're if Jadarian Price in the fall is back to full form, 
Yep. If you're Logan Diggs or or um Audric Estime, I'm not missing time unless yeah. I have no choice. Because that's how you get Wally pipped, right? Like, <laughs> like and it's not just Jadarian Price. I am I want z- I have zero interest in giving Jadarian Price, Jeremiah Love, or Jabron Payne first second team reps in fall camp for any extended period of time. Yep. Zero interest in that. And I know we don't often talk about him, but J- Jabron Payne needs to be in this conversation as well. Yeah. As a, as a number two change of pace kind of back. I don't know if Jabron's ever going to be the guy, but Jabron Payne's a running back. Yep. And if Jabron Payne doesn't have two years of injuries in high school, he's probably to Michigan or Ohio State right now, if we're being honest. I, that's what I think. That's, that's, that's where he was tra- projecting as a player as a sophomore. So, you know, if those guys are all healthy this year, I do not want to miss time if I'm in fall camp at all. I'm sorry. So, uh, you know, it's kind of that motivation to say, hey, man, uh, you know, that bruise that you were thinking about uh, not playing through, you may want to you may want to rethink that, man. And you may want yes. you, you may want to play. You may want to suck it up and play through that. A little Seriously. Bit. So, yeah. But anyway, well, that is going to do it, Ryan, for this show. A, a reminder tomorrow. I'm very excited about this. We are going to have a, f- a fundraiser tomorrow. We are going to uh, partner with the Notre Dame women's softball team. Their head coach, Dana Gump, is going to be on our channel. And we're going to help raise money for uh, fighting cancer, which in children's cancer in the, this community. It's, it's designed. My understanding is it's designed to be a fundraiser that goes towards the local community. Uh, I'm very, very much looking forward to that. Really hope that y'all are able to be with us tomorrow. I really hope that you all are able to um, uh, give. I would really appreciate that. I'm going to put the link in the chat now, and then I'm also going to put it in the chat tomorrow. Uh, any Tomorrow, we after the interview with Coach Gump, and we talk about like where her heart is and, and what they're doing with this, with this charity, we will then have a, a – Super chat only mailbag. And the reason we're doing that is, is is just a reminder because every penny that we earn through super chats or after the show, if you give a super thanks because you couldn't watch live, you can still give if you don't watch it live. Every penny that we earn from that, we will I will then give to that charity as well. So it's kind of a twofold way of doing it. But I prefer for your sakes, uh, from a tax standpoint, it it'd be it'd be you know, give some of those bigger amounts to, uh, if you have, if you're going to give a bigger amount, give that to directly to the charity, cause then they'll get a, a greater uh, cut of it. And then we'll do, you know, the, the fives, the tens and the twenties tomorrow on the super chat. So, uh, really appreciate y'all being a part of that. Would really look forward to that. I uh, hope all of y'all enjoyed today's show. I certainly did. It was a fun, a fun program. If you haven't listened to Josh Pate's breakdown of the top 10 give it a listen it was it was good he made some good points again i don't agree with all of his rankings but he, he made some good arguments for it and of course uh you know we made ours so anyway have a great rest of your day everybody six o'clock tonight ib nation sports talk sean styers will be on the show tonight you'll definitely want to check that out i believe vince i believe vince is with him tonight i i, I forget which nights vince is on with him but i think i think tonight might be one of those nights so you definitely want to check that but i know sean stars will be there so you definitely want to check it out and of course as always folks sign up for the message boards at boards at irishbreakdown.com you won't regret it have a great day and thanks for being with us on the irish breakdown podcast <laughs>
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.